Welcome everyone, my name is Jaime Cervantes. I am uh, the campus pastor at the First Church Benton Heights campus, and it really is a privilege for me to be here this morning. Uh, it's been quite a while, I think, since the last time I've been here, and every time I'm here with the St. Joe family, I always feel welcomed, and I always have a great time. So thank you for having me once again. And so whether you're here in person, maybe you're watching online, or you're listening by the radio, and whether it's your first time, or whether you're here week in and week out, I want you to know a few things. I want you to know that you belong here. I want you to know that you're in the right place, that God has something for you this morning, and we don't want you to miss it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your love. Um, God, we're here, Father, because we're hungry, and you've heard our voices through the worship, uh, Father, but now it's time that we hear yours. And so, God, would you prepare our minds, clear our minds, and prepare the soil in our hearts to receive what it is you have for us today. Amen. So, friends, we, today, this morning, we are in the fourth and final week of our current sermon series titled Summer in the Psalms. And church, I got to tell you, I really, really wish that we would have spent the entirety of the summer in the Psalms because I just love this incredible book. This book, the Psalms, is an amazing collection. It's this catalog of prayers, of songs, and poems. And in them, what I love so much is that you find the full spectrum of human emotion. What I mean is that there's a little bit of everything in the Psalms. And that's exactly what I like about it. It's, it's raw. It's, it's very real. There's, there's instances of profound praise, but then there's these moments of intense pain. There's joy, and then there's depression. You find moments of extreme gratitude, but you also find this really crippling and palpable uh, grief. There's desperation, but there's definitely restoration. There's faith and there's frustration and everything in between. There are these mountain high moments in the pages of Psalms, and then there are these really serious valleys, these moments of incredible highs. But then, then there are these instances of these really deep and dark lows. It's peaks, valleys, and everything in between, and I absolutely love it. You know why? Because we've all been there. We've all experienced this array of emotions, and so the book is so, so relatable. No matter what you're going through, brother, sister, no matter what's going on in your life, there is a psalm for every season and every situation that we may face. And listen, it's so comforting to know that God's word is like that because we all need that. And so this morning, we're going to end the series in Psalm number one. We're going to end where the Psalms begin. So if you have your Bible, I, I encourage you to open it um, and follow along, or, or you can follow along on the screen with me. And God's word says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. 
Now, friends, I find this passage to be a fitting introduction to the book of Psalms because it summarizes the two ways uh, that are available to us. There's the way of the righteous in the first three verses, and then there's the way of the wicked in the last three verses. And the psalmist describes what these two paths look like and where these two paths will ultimately lead us. So let's go through this psalm one more time. We're going to go a verse at a time. And I really want us to to take in and savor the content and the wisdom that's contained in these six verses, beginning with verse one. It's really key. Verse one says, blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Friends, there's a lot in this, ver- in this first verse, and we're going to get to it, but, there's a, but I want us to start with the opening phrase. It says, blessed is the man. Now, the original Hebrew word here used for blessed is the word ashrei, and ashrei just means happy or blessed. And the word that's used for man actually means mankind. So, Another way to say the opening phrase to Psalm 1 is to say, happy is the person. That is how the extraordinary book of Psalms begins. It starts with the phrase, happy is the person. And based on that alone, I dare you to tell me that the word of God is not relevant. Listen, this psalm was written thousands of years ago in a different language, in a different culture, on the other side of the world, and yet it strikes at the heart of human experience. Because if there is one desire that is quite universal across cultures and times, it's the desire to be happy. You ask anyone, whether they're a believer or not, what they want in life, and the word happy is sure to come up in that conversation. And here, the psalmist begins the entire book with the words, blessed is the man or happy is the person. Way to grab our attention, don't you think? And here's what I, what I find so interesting, that while people desire at their core to be happy, there is a ton of evidence, countless studies and surveys that tell us that the majority of people are not happy. In fact, I read some this week, some statistics. The majority of Americans are unhappy with their lives. And are you surprised? I'm not. And it's, and it's into our unhappy world and our dissatisfied society that Psalm 1 speaks so loudly this morning. Verse 1 says, you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? Then don't do the following three things. And the first thing it says that we are not to do is walk in the counsel of the wicked. So what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? Here's what it means. The word wicked means bad, wrong, or guilty. So to walk in the counsel of the wicked means to get and to take some bad advice. It means that you're listening to the wrong voices. And friends, let me tell you something. There are a lot of voices that are competing for your attention. More than ever, more than ever before, you are being constantly preached at. It's not just on Sunday mornings. So the question is, what voices or whose voices are you listening to? 
Either you listen to the righteous people who offer you godly and biblical advice, or you listen to the wrong people who offer worldly, secular, and unbiblical advice. And by the way, just as a side note, do you know which voice you listen to the most? Your own. And you know who will oftentimes give you the very worst advice? It's you. It's true. Listen, I often say this. I may be good company for others, but I am not always good company for myself. And what I mean by that is this. It means that I may give you good and wise counsel, but I don't always give myself the best advice and counsel. The worst advice, the most foolish advice, oftentimes is our own. That's why it's so important, church, to have good, godly advisors, people that can speak into your life. And the Bible speaks extensively to the importance of wise counsel. And friends, here's the thing. This is how it starts. It starts with really bad advice. The road to unhappiness starts with bad advice, and then it goes all downhill from there. There is this progression, this downward spiral that ensues after that. And this is what we find here in verse one, and I want you to see it. Unhappy people walk in the counsel of the wicked, they stand in the way of sinners, and they sit in the seat of scoffers. And that's exactly, listen, that's exactly how sin works in our lives. We go from thinking about it to acting on it, and then eventually you're just sitting in it. We listen We participate, and then we pull up a seat, and we get comfortable. Thoughts turn to actions, and you know what? Actions turn into patterns. That is the process. That is the progression that will lead you to unhappiness. And if you think about it, that's exactly what happened from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they're walking along and they listen to and they take some really bad advice from the wrong person. They thought about it and then they acted on it. And then they sat there and they even blamed God for their actions, much like scoffers do. It's a progression. So we're, we're not to walk with the wicked, we're not to stand with sinners, and we're not to sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, isn't that exactly what Jesus did when he was here on earth? Isn't that exactly who Jesus Christ hung out with? Yes, that is correct. He did, but, but he never compromised. And we are to do the same. I'll, I'll put it simple, just to kind of tie a bow on this here. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. There is a big, big difference. Don't take this passage to mean that you can no longer have friends that are unbelievers. Don't call your friends when you get home and break up with them. That's not what the scripture is telling us this morning. That's not even realistic, actually. But be careful where you walk, where you stand, and where you sit. Listen, the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, he put it this way in chapter 15, verses 33. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And listen, it's not just in the letter to the Corinthians. Actually, the gospel, according to my mother, says the exact same thing. But, that, <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave that for another day. 
So, so verse 1 tells us that what the happy person doesn't do. Verse 2 tells us what they do do. Look what it says, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I love this. The psalmist says, you want to be happy? Then read your Bible. And that, by the way, is also in the gospel according to my mother. You want to be happy? Read your Bible. But notice that it's not described. There's, it's not like, it doesn't sound like it's some sort of chore or like it's some sort of obligation. No, he, he says that he delights in the law of God. So what does it mean, church, to delight in something? It means to take great pleasure or enjoyment in something that you desire. That's what it means to delight. Think of your favorite dish, okay? Think of your favorite meal when you're really, really hungry. Think of your favorite hobby or your favorite pastime. You know, the things that you actually really enjoy. And here the psalmist tells us that the righteous find that kind of pleasure, that kind of enjoyment in the law of God. They delight in the written word of God. Now, here, there may be some of you that are thinking this. You know what, pastor? That's not me. It's just not me. I, I don't delight in reading my Bible. Honestly, I just don't enjoy it. it so, so that's why I don't do it. Listen, if that's you, here's what I would say. And please listen carefully. You can't possibly enjoy much less delight in something that you don't do, in something you don't partake in. You're not enjoying it because you're not reading it, not the other way around. I promise you that if you start reading this book, if you start jumping into God's word, it will change you and it will change your life. I promise you that. And brother, sister, if you want to hear from God today, maybe you need to hear God's voice today, then open up the scriptures. God has so much to say to you and I, and the Bible is his audible voice in print. Nothing less than that. You know what happens when we begin to digest the word of God? We develop this appetite for it, and we begin to delight in it. But back to verse 2. It says that not only does he delight in the law of God, it tells us that he meditates on it day and night. In other words, he meditates on it constantly. So what does it mean to meditate? Let me tell you, it's not the kind of meditation that comes to mind sometimes when we think of this word. It's not that Eastern mysticism type of meditation where the goal is to kind of shut your mind down. That's not that, it's not that kind of meditation. To meditate is to think deeply. In other words, it means to chew on it, to savor it. And you know what happens when we meditate on God's word? You heard this before. Thoughts become actions, and then actions become patterns. You see how that works? And as we take in the word of God, something begins to happen. What we take in begins to come out. It starts to manifest itself in our lives. Look, one of my favorite verses of, in all of scripture, and it's no hyperbole, one of my favorite verses is a scripture found in Joshua chapter 1. And it's not that popular verse 9, although I like it too, where God tells Joshua to be strong, right? And, and, and be courageous, don't be afraid, don't get discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. Look, I love that verse. Don't get me wrong, it's a great verse, but take a look at verse 8. Look at the verse before it, because it goes hand in hand 
with the psalm we're reading this morning. This is God speaking to Joshua, and he says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Hmm. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Friends, if this verse is not highlighted in your Bible now, do it today. Because this verse right here is the key to life. You want to be happy? You want to be successful? You want to live a better life? Partake in and delight in God's word. Meditate on it and then put it into practice. Because if you do, verse 3 tells us what will happen, what it will look like in your life. So let's go there now. Psalm 1 verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I want to focus on that very first part, on that opening phrase. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Listen, if you were born and raised in Southwest Michigan, if this has always been home for you, if you've lived here your entire life, I'm not sure, no offense, but I'm not sure that you can fully appreciate verse three. Let me explain why. Trees in Southwest Michigan, they do quite well. I have never watered my lawn in three years that I've lived here. It just stays green, right? My mother is in Southern California. She's so jealous. But even in the summer here in Michigan, the trees here stay green. Their leaves do not wither. Whether they're planted near the river or whether they're planted far from a river, they get plenty of water. But that's not the case in other parts of the world, including Israel. Israel, where this psalm was written, is a very dry place. And in a place like Israel, for a tree to really thrive, for a tree to truly flourish, it has to be planted by a river. Because a tree that's planted by a river has that continuous source of water. The river ensures that the tree's always getting what it needs, regardless of the weather and despite the desert harsh conditions that it's in. Listen, be, before I moved here, my wife and I lived in New Mexico for seven years. And, and New Mexico, just like Israel, is a very, very dry place. When I first moved there, I, I remember driving on the highway and seeing kind of the entire desert landscape, right? There was like these rocks and plateaus and shrubs and sand everywhere, lots of sand. But I noticed something that was a little bit out of the ordinary. In the middle of the desert landscape, there was a long line of these really big and really green trees. And they seemed really out of place. It was out of the ordinary. And these trees, they just towered over everything. And because everything around them was brown, they really stood out. You know what I mean? Like they, they just jumped. And as soon as I realized that what I was looking at were, and, and I, I, here's what I meant to say. Soon I realized that what I was looking at was were trees that were planted along the Rio Grande, which is a river that cuts through the state of New Mexico. And all year long, no matter what, those trees stood tall, they stayed green, and the leaves never withered. Even in the extreme summer heat, and despite the droughts that occurred there, those trees thrived, and their leaves 
never withered. And that is what the righteous are like, according to the psalmist. They are just like those trees. They get what they need regardless of the weather or the circumstances that are around them because they depend on the river to give them the sustenance they need to persevere. And look what else it says. It says it yields fruit in its season. And the implication here is that not every season is a good one. And I think you'd agree, church, not every season in our lives bears fruit. Not every season in our lives is a pleasant one. You may be in a really difficult season right now. Maybe, maybe your family's fallen apart. Maybe you just went through a painful divorce or you lost someone you really loved or you're struggling financially. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you may be in a difficult season. But the psalmist says that even in those moments, you can withstand and you can be blessed. And in due time, you will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Let me tell you what kind. The best kind. Let me take you, let me take you to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is the produce section of the Bible, okay? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Look, if I just stopped right there, wouldn't that be enough? Love, joy, and peace. Isn't that what the world is always clamoring for? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here it comes, self-control. You want to be happy? You need to yield this type of fruit in your life. In the Bible, fruit is often synonymous with results. And if you delight in God's word, if you meditate on it and put it into practice, if you pattern your life after it, then this is the result of those efforts. You will be that tree that thrives and you will bear fruit. That's what the righteous look like. But here's where the psalm takes kind of a dark turn. Here's where it heads in the opposite direction. Verse 4. The wicked are not so. In other words, they're not like the fruit-producing tree, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. They are like chaff. So you might be wondering, what is chaff? Chaff is the outer covering of grain, okay? It's not edible. It weighs next to nothing, and it is basically worthless. And for those reasons, there's a process called winnowing by which chaff is separated from the grain. And what farmers in that time would do is they would literally throw the grain in the air because and because the chaff is so light the wind would kind of just blow it away it blows away it's not heavy it has no substance so the chaff goes away and only the grain would come down but what I want you to know is that the chaff is just at the mercy of the wind at the mercy of the conditions what a contrast church on one hand, we have the righteous that are like fruit-bearing trees who can withstand droughts and storms and whatever life throws at them. But here, we have the wicked who have no roots and are easily blown away. Verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is really interesting. I don't want you to miss this. Just like a farmer separates the chaff from the grain, God will also separate the wicked from the righteous on that day. On the day of judgment, 
that weightless, wicked chaff will not stand. It is not rooted in the written word of God, which is the Bible, and it's not rooted in the living word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And because it's not rooted in that word, it will fall over and just blow away. And verse 6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think that last phrase is pretty self-explanatory. I want you to notice where Psalm 1 starts. It starts with the word blessed or happy, and it ends with the word perish. Two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. The way of the righteous is blessed. The way of the wicked will perish. And that is what the psalm is all about. There are two ways that we can go. Verse 6 says it. Look, it says it right there. Way of the righteous, way of the wicked. So let me ask you a question. Brother, sister, which way are you going? What path are you on today? Which one of these two people described in Psalm 1 are you? Friends, I know that there are some of you listening to this sermon or maybe you're reading this passage and you're thinking this. I don't think I'm righteous, but I also don't think that I'm wicked, you know? I'm far from perfect, I'll give you that, but, I, but I'm definitely not evil, you know? I, I, I got some issues in my life, I, I recognize that, but I'm really not that bad of a person. Friend, if that's you, I have news for you. You are one or you are the other. These are the two choices. The psalmist doesn't offer a third road. He doesn't offer a third option, a third path that, that's, you know, somewhere in the middle of these two. And you know something else? Neither does Jesus Christ. Here, let me show you. I'll show you right now. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus addresses this very issue. And he tells a very short parable that addresses this thing. And it's found in Luke chapter 18. And it's verses 10 to 14. And I want to read it for us right now. Listen carefully. Verse 10 says, Two men went into the temple to pray. Hmm, these are two church-going people. Keep that in mind. They went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let me just stop right there. There are two characters in this story, and they represent the two kind of people in the world, the two kinds of people in this room. There is a Pharisee who's this religious person, and then there's a despised tax collector. And by the way, the reason that tax collectors were so despised was because they were known to cheat people out of their money. They would charge these unfair, exuberant rates, and and there was nothing that you could actually do about it. Why? Because they had the permission of Rome to collect the taxes. And if you didn't pay the tax collector, then Roman soldiers would come to your house and you didn't want that. That was all bad. And, and they were also seen as traitors to their own people. So these men were materially rich, sure, but they were morally bankrupt. They were sinful and they were looked down upon. Okay, so those are the two people. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, he prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give the tithe to everything that I get, and I even went to do something, you know, last month or whatever. Friends, this guy in this story, this Pharisee, thinks that he's better than most, if not better than all people. 
Instead of looking up, he looks around and he finds the worst person in the room. And then he compares himself to that person. And church, that's exactly what self-righteous people do. Don't get those confused. Self-righteous and righteous are not the same thing. He says, I'm glad I'm not like him, like that tax collector. And then he goes on to say, look at all the good things that I do because I'm such a good person. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far away, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man's so convicted in his heart that he can't even look up. He beats his chest and he just says, God, help me. I need your help. I'm a sinner. And he doesn't look around. No, he looks deeply inward and he sees himself for what he is. And look what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles themselves will be exhausted. Jesus says that it's the tax collector who went home justified before God. So what does it mean? The question, the key question this morning is, what does it mean to be justified before God? It means to be in right relationship with God, in right standing with God. Or... It means to be righteous. We just sang it a little while ago. Through Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. Jesus says the tax collector is better off than this religious guy. Jesus says you need to be like this tax collector. Don't be like the Pharisee in this story. The self-righteous Pharisee, you know what, what, what they do? They say, look at all that I do. But the humble, repentant tax collector says... Look at all, look at what I've done. There's a big difference. The tax collector knew exactly where he stood before God. Friends, a self-righteous person will look around at others and even look down on others. They compare themselves and they say, you know what, I'm really not that bad. But a person who knows that they need to be made right with God doesn't look around and they doesn't look down. They look in and they look And what we find when we look up is a holy, righteous, and perfect God waiting for us. And that is when we realize just how broken we are. That is when we realize just how unrighteous we really, really are. Jesus says there's two kinds of the people in the world. Which one are you? Psalm 1 says there's two paths before us. Which one are you on? And I want to leave you with one last thought. Worship team, would you come up? Church, I want to leave you with this last thought. The Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. Only Jesus Christ is righteous under the law of God. And it is only through faith in Christ that we are made righteous before God. You see, the secret to understanding Psalm 1 is understanding this, that Jesus is the way of the righteous. There is no other way. Jesus is the living word of God. The scriptures all point to him. And Jesus is the living water that you and I need to sustain us in life. 
I want to leave you with this thought, church. It is important to know the word of God, but it is so much more important to know the author. Let's pray. I just want to give you some time to reflect. And please don't look around. That's, that's what the Pharisee in the story did. I want you to look inward. And then I want you to look up. And if you recognize it, there are areas in my life where, that I know need work. There are maybe unrepented sin. I don't know. But if the Holy Spirit is stirring in you and you'd like for me to pray for you, would you raise your hand? God bless you. God bless you. My hand's up there with yours. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're realizing, I don't feed on the word of God enough. And I really want to because when I do, I actually delight in it, but I just don't know why I don't do it more often. And you say, Lord, give me the discipline I need to get into your word. Would you raise your hand? And yeah, I should see a lot of hands this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for this incredible six verses. Thank you for this opening act in the book of Psalms. Thank you, Father, that, that you love us so much, that you love us too much to just leave us where we are. Father, help us to be like the tax collector. Help us to live in that posture, Lord, of humility where we're always looking in and we're always looking up instead of looking around and looking down. Thank you, Father, that what you did on the cross, that the finished work on the cross is what makes us righteous. We recognize that this morning. We praise your name this morning. And Lord, you saw the hands that went up, but you also saw the hands that didn't go up, that wanted to go up, Father. And I just pray for each person here in this room, Father. I pray that your spirit would move in us and that we would, Lord, that we would just, that we would be changed by your word, by your Holy Spirit, and by your incredible love for us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Church, would you stand this morning as we respond? Song that says, I will build my life upon your love. For it's a firm foundation. Let's sing together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever time we live in a culture where there's so many voices competing for your attention so many and we oftentimes when when the storms hit we're, we're so caught up looking around 
when there's a God that's waiting for us to look up, when the word of God speaks so relevantly and directly into our lives. That's who we need to hear from. Listen, if you want to know what God has to say to you, if you want to know Jesus on a more personal level, then I challenge you to read his autobiography. Start doing it and start doing it today and watch what will happen in your life. You will start to be like that tree. Your roots will go down. You'll be plugged into the living water that is Jesus Christ, to the living word of God that is Christ. And so when the storms come and they're gonna come, you know they're gonna come. You can stand and you can thrive and you can have joy in your life because God never promised me an easier life but boy does he promise us a better one brothers and sisters empty hands may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you may our God be gracious to you may he turn his face towards you and may he fill you with his peace God bless you, church. Go live it up.